you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Wednesday, and in these episodes, Sangram and myself, James Carberry, focus on personal development. We'll share books and other resources that are helping us get a little bit better every single day. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. I got a special announcement for you. I have been part of the Peak community for almost a year now. And here is the thing. Less than 1% of the marketers become CMOs. And you know what's even harder? Staying a CMO without a high caliber peer network that can help you beat the odds. In Peak community, they build a community around you by creating exclusive events and experiences to help you become 1% better each week. So you can get promoted, have an impact, and do the best work of your life. This episode that you're listening to is an example of the conversations that happen literally every single day in the Peak community. So check out, the link is below. If you want to be part of it, it's only for marketers. So make sure you're not a lurker, but someone who want to have an impact and do the best work of your life. Let's go. Hey, welcome, everybody. Thank you for attending B2B SMX 2020, and thanks for coming to my session. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about ABM segmentation and targeting, a hands-on strategy session. Well, hey, I hope you guys are going to have a, a great set of sessions coming up this week with B2B SMX 2020. I'm really thrilled to be here and be a part of it, uh, and thank you for attending my session today. Now, in this session, my hope is that we have more than just questions. Rather, along the way, I'm going to be asking if anyone has an example that relates to a topic at hand. Uh, and in several places, we'll you know be having a pop quiz. And I'm going to try to pull in audience engagement because I'm hoping that this isn't uh, a case of slide slideware uh, sharing, but more of a conversation. Um, but really, I'm going to have to rely upon all of you to help make that happen. Um, Along the way, I've, I've used some real-world examples, but your feedback and your uh, content is going to really be helping to make this a conversation today. So um, these slides and the concepts come from a range of workshops that we've done over you know, countless times, uh, many different countries. Um, well, individual slides, though, can be really like some of them a whole day of workshops. So my goal is to give you an expansive view as to how you can start to make a huge difference in your own business, uh, hopefully with little or no incremental cost and with no downside, but to deliver really a strategic view of how to drive performance into your ABM program. Now, before we get started, I'd like to ask two poll questions. And these are ones that in the past, like during the B2B MX sessions, I, I generally ask these as well. So um, this is, uh, I think, an important one for me. So first one, and if you could chat, um, if you could all look up in the Zoom chat and pull that up right now. What I'm looking for is first question here, what's the reason for you being here today? That you're trying to start your first ABM program? You need to restart or re-engineer an existing program? Or you hope to learn more where you can build on the success of your program today? Or just like, I don't know. I, I had nothing better to do. I hope the last one's not the case. But if you could enter a one, two, three, or four uh, in the chat, that would be super cool to help us understand that you are uh, what you're looking for today. Cool. Building on success. Building on success. Got a couple more now. Restart and re-engineer. Couple on 
uh, start the first ABM program. That's really cool. Thank you very much. That gives me a bit of a level set as to what you guys are hoping to get from the session today. Now, next one here is how would you describe the state of your current program today? Now, a couple of people said they're going to start it, so you might answer five with that one. But um, your current state, I can't measure the, the actual lead and or revenue impact. I or my leadership or my sales team, they, we question the approach. Uh, my target accounts really aren't engaging with our content. I'm completely satisfied or I don't yet have that program. Okay. See some one, I see some five, some a two, another two, a one, a one and a three. Let's see here. Aren't engaging, you can't measure, can't measure, question the approach. Okay. Super. So that helps me a lot. Um, fantastic. Now, in the past, what I had seen when asking a similar question before is that there's really about thirds. Okay. So um, in the in the live events, I'd ask people, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're here to start your first ABM program. About a third of the room would raise their hand. Uh, next, I'd ask, raise your hand if you have an existing ABM program. And about two-thirds of the hands would be raised. And I said, now keep your hand up if you're here to re-engineer that program because, you know, if one of these points here couldn't measure, questioned the outcomes, weren't engaging, there's something going on that you were trying to re-engineer. So that was about a third also. So it seems like there's a third that was trying to start, there's the third that was trying to re-engineer, and there's a third that was about trying to find new and additional things to add to a program they felt was successful. And I think that was really um, what we were seeing today. Now, in the future, I'm hoping that people can also uh, unmute and ask questions. So I'm going to put that back to uh, Kirk, who's helping us produce today, to chat back to me that, yes, we can do that. Uh, if not, we'll figure out a way to do it through chat. But I'll start working asynchronously moving into uh, the presentation while I look for your chat. So in its simplest form, really, Every one of your companies has a, a, a finite audience, a, a finite group of target accounts that hear your value, value proposition better, find it more valuable, are willing to pay more for it, need it faster, and once they have your solution, they stay longer. ABM is really nothing more than trying to identify those companies, under how, how to understand how to speak their language, deliver consistent customer experiences based upon the themes uh, that they're interested in, and to do that across multiple channels and to track the progress of those accounts over time. That's the strategy of ABM. I think a lot of people tend to think of it really from a, a technology perspective and things like that, but I'm gonna to try to keep this um, from the perspective that's really more uh, uh, hands-on, what can you do uh, about that uh, deploying ABM yourself? Anyways, so, what makes this really complex though, this question, such a simple question and people have been asking it for several years now. What makes this so complex is that ABM's really become a vendor and technology best practices discussion rather than a strategy discussion. You know, in this world though, countless organizations reach out to me and they say, well, hey, I'm an ABM platform. Uh, and they have such a wide range, you know, from vendors who sell data to one who does syndication to another who has a web portal and somebody that does advertising. You know, all of these are really partially correct, but that's the challenge for you. Um, early on when thinking about that, this, what I realized 
is that really ABM is like a mosaic in that there are uh, a, a number, it's a beautiful picture, but there, each vendor represents maybe a few tiles in that picture. And while each may be critical in their own way, the challenge for you is that each presents the, their tile as the entire picture. And on your side, that makes the evaluation of the market super complex and oftentimes misses the, the obvious points of strategy and vision. Now, in the next few slides, I think the, these are going to be emblematic of the challenge. So I'm going to help set the table here in, in just like a half a dozen slides. So first, ABM is not a silver bullet. Like, using the challenges that we talked about just a second ago, 82% um, of ABM programs can't measure results or report negative revenue impact. Only 9% of ABM uh, practitioners feel their programs are mature. 70% feel immature. Now, of the immature, 87% of them, which is like 70% of the total, are dissatisfied with the results. And then 79% fail to produce overall satisfaction with the results. Also, 65% struggle to control messages across channels and platforms. 69% struggle to understand the best way to reach target accounts. 60% struggle. Like all of these are emblematic of a lot of the, the challenges that I just mentioned, where we're looking at the technologies rather than the strategies. And so with that as the background, uh, I'm going to start trying to describe what should we be doing about this. Now, there is a converse of all of that. So um, the adoption and the excitement about ABM is high. The budget going towards it is increasing. So 81% on the path to an ABM strategy. 46% uh, have some element of that strategy today. 73%, so two-thirds of the market plan to increase their ABM budget by at least 21% this year. Um, you know, six or nineteen percent or twenty percent are thinking of increasing headcount in this area. So investment is flowing here. Uh, the the market is looking for expanding this capability. So why is this important? So we're going to start digging deeper. Uh, and in this first pass, we'll discuss the key elements. Later, we'll drive into like worksheets and processes to accomplish these elements. Uh, it's important to note. It's important to note that my approach is going to. Um, uh, continue being vendor agnostic, but probably more important, I'm going to focus on things that you could do today that don't require new technology and purchases. While we could do that, that's not the goal of what I'm trying to do today. Uh, as well, a, a lot of my approach will be from the perspective of setting up a proper pilot. So how do you how do you set a baseline? Um, and this 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 could be a pilot of new capabilities within an existing program. So it's not saying that you're going to start from scratch again, but it's how do you set up a use case where you can identify what you know and don't know and estimate the, the investment that you need to help expand your strategy. Well, here's the crux of the challenge that we, we see today. Um, in so many cases, ABM best practice conflicts with what we know to be marketing best practice. And we're going to talk about this more in the next couple of slides. But what I think is confusing about that mosaic idea and trying to expand it further now and what it is that you hear and, and the challenge of finding the right kind of strategy is that oftentimes what you hear in the market is, you know, well, you know, ABM is a platform. Well, really it's an integrated strategy. You're supposed to scale more messages and more channels. And really you should be trying to scale what you know about those target accounts. Um, you know, all accounts have a common interest. So you have uh, campaigns, you set up a campaign and, and run it at all your target accounts. When really accounts have separate interests and, and they're not monolithically the same. So we can go on and on here, but really there's a conflict. There's a, a friction in the market now between a lot of the best practice that you're being told and the things that you can see as being um, best practice. So 
you know, so much of best practice reflects the capabilities of another platform. So at a high level, it's not actionable. And some, you know, I mentioned like the best practices at odds. Um, from the start, in my organization, our focus has been vendor agnostic, as it said before, and strategy forward. Um, what we're trying to do is to help to identify the paths that relate to the, the greatest impact, the bottom line, the ability to create the revenue impact. Um, I'm not going to go through all the research, but here's a couple of key takeaways. Uh, we'll start with exploring and I'll, I'll back away from the consortium and our thought process and deal just with the strategy, the presentation today. But the first thing I'd like to say is that we were the very first to identify orchestration, ABM orchestration, um, and define the scale of maturity around it. Most interesting here is that more mature ABM orchestration uh, isn't described in the way that the industry pundits use it. it. It's not about sending more messages to more channels. It's about identifying and isolating target account needs, aligning content to match those needs, and the delivering that message consistently across your execution channels. So, you know, here, uh, what we found in our primary research, 500 ABM programs, 82% uh, uh, were able to produce high revenue Im impact. But that's not overall. That's of the 18% that are mature, almost all of them found high revenue impact. Um, almost all of them focused on identifying the audience needs. Uh, almost all of them focused on uh, aligning content to those needs and, and advancing that content as an account progresses through their buyer, buyer's journey. Uh, most of them used multiple channels to deliver this. And most of them focused on not just the prospecting, but also mid-fall and cross-sell, upsell. So those are the traits that we see in the market as to what connotes or what aligns with higher performance. Now, it, I got to tell you, though, it seems like every day there's a new vendor that said they've cracked the code on, on B2B marketing, especially now with, with ABM, with it being so um, uh, popular and topical today. But what most fail to realize is that there's a larger body of research and best practice that will always exist. Because in the end, marketing best practice is about really human behavior and not simply a new technology or widget that some engineers have baked up. Uh, so to this end, you know, research shows that marketing programs that can identify audience needs and deliver messages to match those needs across channels can increase overall performance by 300% and engagement by 251%. You know, there's another statistic too that says like it can even increase display click, uh, display ad click through rates by 700%. So contrasting this to that, you know, red pill, blue pill decision that Morpheus gave us in the earlier slide, you know, the right side of that blue starts to look a lot more like it's aligned with marketing best practice. You know, it's aligned to strategy and outcomes rather than technology and capabilities. And this is a key point that we're going to continue to bring up again. ABM is a strategy that gives you the opportunity to better understand and target specific needs at specific companies. It's about human needs and their behaviors. It's not about the new capabilities and the technologies. So technology is enabling to a great approach, but it is not the great approach. Okay. So now we're shifting to get closer and closer to the, the actionable. So we started with, you know, what are the challenges? What's, you know, what aligns um, to strategy? that we should be thinking about in performance. And now we're gonna start looking at, um, you know, how should we think about the, these ideas? So what are the things that we need to do that would start to action uh, some of this strategy? Um, so first of all, you know, I haven't asked you yet about, you know, which target accounts are gonna you know, put in the program, the platform you're gonna buy, okay? That's a, a very different conversation that I feel comes far later 
uh, in, in all of this process that we're going to be talking about today. Instead, I'm, I'm going to be bringing up uh, new points, uh, you know, ways for you to think about your target accounts, identifying their needs, and developing programs to reach this audience. So, you know, the first step of the journey is, is the objectives. You know, what's your growth strategy? Where do you, you know, where do you want marketing influence revenue to come from? Is it top of funnel? Is it cross-sell, upsell? Is it overseas markets, new markets, key accounts? Like there's so many different things you can affect. So as an organization, secondarily, how does ABM fit into that strategy? What is ABM's role in accomplishing that strategy? What does success look like? What are the KPIs? So you should be able to look at the KPIs and have them roll up to the charter, to the strategy, to the growth strategy. Like these things should be aligned. This isn't about just selecting accounts and delivering ads. This is to be very purposeful. So next, audience. This is critical. This is really super important. Uh, from my experience, a lot of organizations can see their total addressable market. That's like, uh, you know, those who could plausibly have any reason to buy their offering. Where they struggle is to identify those high value audiences we spoke about a moment ago. Those who hear your value proposition better, need the solution more, find it more valuable, willing to pay more for it, stay longer. Well, that's your ideal customer profile. So ABM is focused on the ICP, <laughs> lots of acronyms here. Um, anyway, so ideal customer profile. So what's interesting here though, is many years ago, unrelated, way before ABM, I did some work around ideal customer profile. What we found is about 20 to 30% of your customers bring in about 400% of the profit. That sounds weird, but stick with me. The middle 50% are more or less break even and the bottom 20 to 30% of the customers actually cost you 300% of your profit. How can that be? So, I mean, you end up with the 100%, but how you get there is interesting. So those ones that are uh, the profit takers, they're harder to close. They take more time to onboard. They complain and consume resources, and then they don't renew. Whereas the ones that are at the top, you know, they need it more, right? They, they, they're going to stay longer. So all the stuff you put into deployment, all that is amortized across years, and not just you know months of a relationship. So the ICP begins to look a lot like that top twenty to thirty uh, percent, and perhaps a chunk of those in the middle. Right, but it's not going. You're not going to be wanting to deal down with the the profit takers at the bottom. So this is something that should align with your customer growth strategy, right? And this isn't an, an uh, something that you're going to pull uh, just out of your hat all on your own. But it's really contextually something that is uh, interesting to consider as you start to go from your your customer growth strategy to how ABM can play within that the development of your ideal customer profile. Okay, so within the ICP, our job is to then segment those companies. I'm going to get a lot deeper into that in a few slides, but right now it's important to note that I'm, I'm actually using the strategic marketing concept of segmentation. The idea is that uh, you identify groups of similar companies or audiences. Uh, it's called homogeneity, and the idea is that when a segment receives a similar message, you'd expect a similar response. Okay, so you're trying to find people with similar needs and resp response structures. So using this, you can continue to optimize your content and approach to a segment. And you try to become expert at that segment in understanding um, you know, the roles of the people, uh, how they see your value propositions. And what's cool is that as, you, as time goes by, you get better at your understanding of the segment. And also as you find additional accounts that, that uh, you want to bring into your ICP, 
you can start to onboard them into that learning. So you can start to scale this based upon the needs of an audience. So here your job is really to put a face on your audience. You know, you may already have some persona work in place that you can use, but even if you don't, um, later we're looking at some underlying data and an analysis here, um, we're gonna try to find similar accounts. So once you look at a segment, one segment at a time, what you'll see is the buyer typically changes, the needs, uh, what they're buying changes. And if, for example, at larger companies, look at just the people. At larger companies, you're more likely to connect with less senior people. That, that seems kind of obvious, but you might also be connecting with the roles that are very atypical, like finance and legal and purchasing as they come into the decision. And contrasting that at smaller companies, you may be working with uh, you know, executives with really broad responsibilities. So segments are going to be involving um, attributes of the company as well as attributes of the buyers. And like I said, we're going to really get a lot deeper on that in just a second. But I wanted to put that out there as we're starting to peel back layers of the onion. So now that we have these segments and we start to look at the underlying data and prior interactions, we start to identify insights. That is, uh, what do they respond to? What content or approach to your value prop makes sense to them? Uh, using conversions and closed one business, you start to see the picture come to life. Uh, these points of insight then start to transition to needs. So I think a lot of people, when they think of needs, they think of buying intent data. But what they miss in that picture is that your underlying data already includes more and more valuable information than you could ever buy somewhere else. Sometimes it's really hard to find we're going to try to find some tactics to help you uh, make that a little bit easier, or at least um, bucket together all of that thought process so it can become easier. But here you can see things like being simply, you know, the types of campaigns they're responding to or ads they're clicking on, uh, you know, all kinds of attributes exist within your automation systems and your CRM. And something I say here that, that I think is a good challenge to all people is ABM is primarily a data challenge and not a media challenge. Um, I used that at a, a Dreamforce presentation a couple of years ago, and it was a beautiful, like packed audience, standing room. Uh, and some guy in the back, after I, I made that statement in closing, um, he asked one of the first questions. He said, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean it's a, a data challenge and not a media challenge? Because his presumption was that it was a media challenge. And, and I said, okay, the show of hands here, now raise your hand if you could tell me how many buyers you have from your target accounts in your marketing automation system today. Raise your hand. Not a single hand went up and there was laughter because people realized that you can't have an ABM program unless you can actually answer that question. You might have an advertising program. You might have some other you know, tactic that you've executed. But if you can't answer that question, the email is, is the most prolific and relied upon channel in B2B marketing today. And if you can't answer the question about your target accounts uh, in those channels, fundamentally, you don't have an ABM program. And, and that was the point of, of the laughter that had occurred at the time. Um, next year, moving on, I'm not going to dive into content creation and marketing, but I wanted to put a note out here. If you haven't seen the challenger model of commercial insights, it's extraordinarily powerful and I encourage you to go take a look at it if you're not familiar. But the idea here is now that you've identified needs, you have to align content to those needs. I think this model of commercial insights is particularly interesting because it's about trying to help people rethink their assertions of, a, a of an issue and, and not just try to educate, but rather re-educate people. 
And um, there are very few instances in the market today where straight up education is needed. Um, typically it's to have people hear your proposition better. You have to, they've already heard something about it. You're trying to uh, challenge those assumptions that they may have embedded already to themselves and to think about it differently so it makes sense from your perspective. And so you have content now. Like I said, we'll talk more about this as we're getting deeper and deeper into that, those layers of the onion. Um, and then finally now, this is orchestration. For each segment, you can now align the needs to the content, the expected channels. And that's what the, the more mature level of orchestration is. And I mentioned that earlier when I said my organization, we did this maturity path and the schema to get to high performance. Um, you know, this aligns to all the statistics like the 200, 300% increases in conversion. It aligns directly to that, which is the larger body of previously existing research around how do you get people to respond to your marketing programs. Um, but some interesting points here, though, that also are, are um, very directed to the conversation today. I believe it was McKinsey. Uh, what they identified was that the considered B2B purchase, so not transactional, but a considered B2B purchase involved uh, prospects using an average of six channels to research uh, the vendors, and two-thirds of them left the process upset because they couldn't see the picture of what the vendor does. That is, each channel is out of sync with the other. And fundamentally, that makes it harder for buyers to buy. So if our execution is to execute by uh, tactic, by uh, channel, that fragments the perspective of what an audience can see about us, makes it harder for them to buy. So contrasting that, if we're able to identify needs, align it to content and use it across multiple channels, we're solving that problem, ergo, making it easier for buyers to buy. Okay, so now peeling back those layers of the onion. Um, and I'm gonna be getting to uh, some slides here. Where we're gonna start uh, asking questions. So uh, Kirk, I'll raise my hand to uh, identify that in just a moment here. But just prefacing, I mean, there is there, no right or wrong questions or answers or anything like that along the way, um, but rather, what I'm hoping is to gather from uh, a couple of people the way that they're thinking about this or how they see the challenge themselves. But we'll come into that in just a second. Um, okay, it, right here, it's important to note that I'm going to continue being vendor agnostic, but uh, probably more important, I'm going to be focused on things that you can do today, right? So um, I'm not looking for you to say like, hey, you have to uh, go buy certain technologies and things before you can take a next step. I'm trying to help you identify things that you could start to do that would, at the worst case scenario, help you to understand what you may need to buy. But you're feasibly able to get maybe the Pareto principle, 80% of the, the, the strategy done um, with, with you know 0% of the cost. Um, okay. So... The net of this, though, is to help you to move from a thinking of platforms to strategy. And again, as I mentioned earlier, about how to, to set up the right kind of design of experiment so that you can trial these new ideas. And then because of that, see, you know, what is the potential upside or, or potentially what's what you don't know uh, about this? So, you know, like maybe some of your assertions were wrong, but we're trying to set up the right kind of design of experiment so you could find these things out. Um, now, again, each of these sections can really be a full day workshop. So I'm going to uh, bear with me because um, some of it is, is directional, but it's, um, like I said, I mean, we can work a full day on, on each slide here. Okay, so 
earlier I mentioned a key point, and that's a limited subset of companies are more valuable to you. And that that's the essence of ABM is to help identify and target them. So how do we do that? Um, you know, if, if you have budget, this is one of those areas, things like, you know, a CDP, you know, could be a, a great option. But even before doing that, you know, consider the objective at this stage is really to identify your, your ideal customer profile, companies that match it, um, those companies that have a high intent score, existing interaction, uh, you know, with you. Um, but these are critical for you to identify. Uh, so anyways, um, if you don't have the technologies, how should the rest of us consider doing this? How, how can we work to develop an ICP? So really, if you look over here, um, if you go into Salesforce and you downloaded, extracted the last 12 months of closed one deals, put it into a spreadsheet and you isolated companies that align with your growth strategy. So now what we're looking at is the bullseye. I'm, I'm presuming at this point that your organization has a growth strategy that you know you want to cross all up. So you know you want you know, to uh, enter new markets or new geographies, new products. Like, so given what it is that you are trying to focus on, which of these accounts align with that? Now analyze that. Are there, you know, within those, those companies that have closed one in the last 12 months that look like your, your growth strategy, what are the commonalities? You know, is there a size, size of company? Is there an industry? Um, you know, is there some type of way that they use your solution that you could identify others in the future? You know, maybe I'm going to use this as an example in a few slides. Like uh, if you have a technology where you, you integrate with and partner with adjacent technologies. So the, the presence of particular partners that you integrate with would be potentially super helpful right now. Um, and then look at that even further for you know, the largest deals within that, that fit with your growth strategy. What are the similarities that exist in there? Now, I'm going to just raise my hand and hopefully a bold person will, will step up and, and, and share an example. But has anybody here um, ever completed this type of an analysis where you're going from uh, you know, looking at your, your underlying closed deals to identifying what it is that uh, seems to be working best. We'll keep it at a kind of a high level here. Do we have a bold person? Uh, and I guess, Kirk, if we could uh, uh, open up and see if somebody might have, uh, we'll look for the first person, one person. And if not, I can move forward. But like I said, it'd be so helpful if you guys would make this a conversation rather than a monologue. Okay. Totally fine. I get it. Um, I'll ask again, though, in the future. So if somebody wants to uh, you know, gather the courage in a moment here, we'll try it again. Okay. ICP expansion. So you've identified now those who you already know because you've closed the business. You probably also have uh, the ability to say, okay, I've identified now traits about those companies, and I see these in my CRM and automation today. But there's, there's another question now. It's like, okay, there's probably a whole lot more that have never engaged with you. So if we apply some of the um, rationale for, for you know, what was common amongst those, uh, those bullseyes to <clears throat> another data source, an external data source, I don't know, it could be like Sales Intel, DMV, Inside View, Zoom. Uh, some of these places have, you know, firmographic data. You may even be able to apply like, you know, um, you know, with your partners, you have uh, your shared client lists. 
you know, so they, you know, where they're installed, you know, there's other sources of data and it becomes a little bit situation specific. Um, and like I said, I mean, this could be a whole day of workshop just going through this under underlying type of data. But the idea here is to say, we found these as being successful. Now, where do I find more of them? <clears throat> so the next one here um, is the segmentation. And this is really a critical concept. And we're going to take a couple of slides here to talk about this one. Uh, so within your ICP, uh, there are major groups of companies. And this is a, a foreign concept to much of ABM best practice, but it's actually one of the most critical elements to finding performance success. So uh, the major groups represent completely different markets. Okay, so um, I've used a concept that, that should be familiar, target account list, uh, but the point really is that each group has uh, very little in common with other groups. Um, I've seen organizations successfully use things like global geography, like Europe versus North America, or dissimilar product lines, you know, widgets versus wagons, you know, something where different organizations and buyers all together. Um, now, the second and really the most critical is the minor division. So within a major one, let's say North America, whatever, uh, is, is the major division. You know, we use the concept of segmentation um, and, and mentioned that one before. So like a target account list, <clears throat> a segment is also a static group, okay? So is it possible that a company moves from North America to Europe, changing from you know, one major group to another major group? Yeah, it's, it's possible, but it's really not planned. You know, it's not something where, um, you know, because you did a great job, somebody you know, moved to a different continent. Um, the segment is really also the same way. Their needs, their needs are dissimilar. Um, What's different, though, is that this is not about the, the traits of the company, but it's really about uh, it's from the perspective of the audience. And I'm going to start continuing to dig deeper on this one right now to make, help make sense of that last statement. So a segment is static, but they're also supposed to represent a collection of target accounts that likely share the same needs, uh, both at the company level and at the buying group level. I've anonymized an actual example to demonstrate the concept that I mentioned, you know, that uh, an infrastructure company a second ago. So this is an e-commerce infrastructure company and they did, identified several thousand companies in their total addressable market. And then further, they identified a few thousand companies in their ICP, uh, companies who already had a, a core e-commerce platform, which was really around their, their core growth strategy to align to their integration partners and to, to sell into places where they were. They had a couple of dozen of these partners. Um, but there were a few that were more important than others. So in this case, you know, we had three that were, that were really important. Um, now in their, their ICP analysis, they also found they were best suited for enterprise. And, and they did some, they did well in the mid-market, but they, you know, the opposite of this, they, they didn't do really well in the SMB. So applying the learning that we had in the ICP exercise to now looking at um, the segmentation question, um, what we're seeing here is that some of the part partners are aligning better to their growth strategy than were others. They're looking at this within a geography, say North America. They're looking at this now based upon their growth strategy, which is market size and um, partner, uh, the partner at hand. Um, so we're going to focus on this in, in the next two slides. But, but before moving forward, does anyone have a, a, any questions or uh, a use case that they would like to share about 
perhaps some work that they've done in this area of identifying uh, their markets at this level. And it's totally fine if you don't, but again, I'm trying to make this a, a conversation rather than a uh, presentation. So you can even chat it uh, in the chat window here, or at least, <clears throat> excuse me, or at least raise your hand if you have a point to make. And I'll give it just another second here. Okay. Great, I got it one. So I've got a question from Nicole. And it, oh, and uh, Olivia got, couldn't unmute. Um, Olivia wants to be unmuted, Kirk. Can you do that for me, please? Oh, there it is. Hello. Hi, Olivia. Thank you. How are you? I have a question Wonderful. about, and maybe you're going to get into this later. I think um, you're... You're, you're kind of talking high level here, but when you're developing like an ICP and you have a pretty good focus on, on your, the actual company you're going after, like an enterprise sales, but how do you, how do you dig deeper into like within a company to find the right profiles? Yeah. So you're actually getting, um, right here. So the next slide, I was okay. going to start doing a little bit more of that. So, um, uh, we can keep you unmuted as we we go into that. Is that okay? Yes. Had you had you ever taken though at the uh, target account? Have you ever taken an approach to segment? So to find within uh, your ICP companies that shared similar characteristics that would make make it that when you when you gave them message one, you'd generally get answer A back. You ever taken a, an approach like that? No, I think that's probably the next step or the harder, right? When you're in a small right. company is, is you might know your ICP, but testing those different messages with them. I think that's, that's a good point. So I think before you can get to the people, you have to start seg uh, segmenting or, or breaking apart the total. And it, it generally, it's going to be a hypothesis, right? I mean, it's not like you're going to go out and do, you know, 12 months of primary research and, you know, uh, qualitative and quantitative to get a, an emphatic answer. But when you're able to break up, uh, and you'll see in a subsequent slide how we use these segments. Um, when you can break it apart at a, you know, with a hypothesis, it makes it easier to say, to answer the question you had. So who at that type of an account would, would be the buyer? And, um, you know, so like in this situation here, if Midmark and Enterprise are, you know, the two, uh, you know, meta categories, you know, that we're after. Clearly, I would be talking to a different person at an enterprise than I would in a bid market. Like the, the types of roles would be senior manager or director. I'm, I'm just riffing here at a moment. Uh, contrasted to like a mid market, you might be talking to a VP or C level person. And at an SMB, you might be talking to the CEO. At the enterprise, you might have purchasing and legal involved in the decision, but you wouldn't find that at an SMB. So you start to see uh, when you when you look at the question from a very finite perspective, it makes it easier to digest uh, and answer the question uh, that you just had. Um, and I think that uh, said John uh, Poricolo raised his yes. hand. It, it, That's correct. I'm glad we're having multiple people on the line here. So but did you have a question? Well, I, I was going to, um, I was trying to figure out how to raise my hand before I felt bad. <laughs> um, 
and I couldn't, I think maybe others are having the same and unmuting myself. So happy to participate in a conversation. I work in a um, cool healthcare technology company and we do audience segmentation based Good. on company size and market. So we break it down into quintiles. Uh, so five different categories, strictly based on the size of the institution or the agency that uh, provides the services. That's cool. Now, is there anything, uh, so health tech, I mean, I'm thinking it that there might be, you know, I don't know, hospitals versus, you know, I don't know, uh, VA or something like that. I mean, I don't know your market, obviously, but sure. in addition to size, is there another dimension that also could indicate kind of a homogeneity, homogeneity of needs? Yes. So we, we do break it down by a category of uh, segmentation, hospital, home care, wow. and so forth. So we, we do um, do that. And then we also have it broken down by product line. So the application. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so so your question, we dump it into a data lake, uh, the transactions that we have from our uh, CRM, um, uh, Marketo, and also from Salesforce. You are like at the top 10% um, in terms of how you're thinking about this. And, and it sounds to I me mean, from the concept of you even having a data lake, it, it means that you um, have sizable resources around yourself and you, you have a very mature uh, marketing and marketing operations uh, facility. Um, hey, Kirk, we had two other people raise their hand. Um, can you also unmute them? I see I there's a question. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, as I say, I do have a question for, I don't remember his name, whoever is just mentioning their strategy with all the different segments John. for John, for um, the different industries and within those segments. So I'm a work for a manufacturer and we touch, we're in over 15 different segments and it's just a small team of myself doing marketing. So how do you manage the different content and different messaging across those all of those different industries. They know the language is going to change depending on what industry you're in, what you're talking to. I guess that's where I struggle the most with trying to make sure the messaging is relevant to the audience, but at the same time trying to manage so many different segmentations at the same time. So it, it, there's never a uniform answer, but one of the things I would say is that it's oftentimes liberating to know the segments where you, you don't have yourself set up yet. It may be that you find there's entire segments where you don't have any content. You don't know really, really who they are. Uh, perhaps even you've not really had um, success with them yet. So perhaps the question isn't how do you do all of them? Perhaps the question is which ones do you emphasize or put your limited resources into you so you said you had yeah i guess and that's where it's like how do i decide which one to put my energy into without also neglecting the other 10 because if i focus only on five then my messaging no longer hits the rest of our audience so i know i'm sure if there's if you were going to get to this or we can move on i just that was one thing when he mentioned they broke it down in so many different steps that's kind of what i've been wanting to do i just haven't been able to accomplish that it, so be happy to uh, comment. Nicole, please, go ahead, John. Sure. Um, so, Nicole, we, we had a team seven years ago, four people. Uh, that was the total marketing department. And I had the same challenge. How do I, okay. you know, and we're now at a team of about 40 because we've been able to demonstrate, you know, the, the return on investment. 
Um, I, the, the way that, uh, and again, that just as a suggestion, how we approached it was we um, decided to use, what, decide what were those key markets that offered the highest potential. We focused mm-hmm. our internal people on that. And then we just used, um, we got some great people just using Upworks. Are you familiar with Upworks? Um, I've heard of it. Okay, so Upworks, you can identify content developers um, and you can look at their past record and see what they've been graded by other uh, B2B type of businesses. And then we, we got very focused uh, content providers at really next to, next to nothing. So it's been a great, we now have okay. a dozen of those types of people that we just use on a contracted basis. And um, it's allowed us to expand. And then as we expand, we bring, once we justify, we bring a full-time person in. Okay, thank you. Another thing that I've done in this also is that not every time is it a completely new piece of content as you uh, go into another segment. Sometimes it's a, a solid edit on top of a piece that you already have. Now, the challenge with a lot of content is that it's written to kind of the uh, amalgamated you know, persona across segments. And, and it's hard to find performance there. But if you could take that type of, maybe it's a solid piece, maybe it's provocative and interesting. But take it now and start to version it for, you know, for John, maybe it's the type of healthcare segment, you know, so the type of firm and the size. So it's a matter of changing the titling, the cover page, the opening couple of paragraphs, maybe a couple of the other subsequent points. But you don't necessarily need to be in the business of, of starting from scratch every time you're trying to find a piece of content for uh, a segment. And exactly to, to that question, um, I have an example of, of uh, a, a company where we've gone from marketing in one language globally to six languages, but it was a matter of taking content that we'd tuned in English, albeit, but then versioning it into French, German, Portuguese, Spanish, you know, in, in, to be able to fit into other global regions. So consider the ability of, of optimizing a relationship to a segment and then finding adjacent segments where it could be applicable, but might require uh, some solid edits, but you're not starting from a blank piece of paper. Would you agree with that, John? Or do you have a, a contrasting point? No, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I was trying to actually use the chat function and couldn't, couldn't quite do it, but I agree with <laughs> So I would add, um, and as you're probably aware of, just repurposing the content. So come up with one concept, develop it, and then repurpose it through the different medium. Super. Um, so, hey, Kirk, if you're keeping an eye on the, uh, the chat window here, Olivia says she can't unmute or uh, raise her hand. Hey, Olivia, do you want to be uh, muted again? Is that? No, I'm good. I answered, I asked my okay. question earlier, but yeah, I can oh. mute and unmute now myself. Okay. So uh, I think another question that Nicole was drilling on was, um, you know, not ignoring everybody else. And, and perhaps that could be a question of, um, you know, I think, John, you said it like priority, um, but also is it in ABM, which would connote that you have a high priority on it, or is it a general demand generation uh, type of a path? Um, and, and by the way, even demand generation can be relatively highly targeted. So LinkedIn and even paid search can be done in a very targeted and discreet way. Um, but uh, you know, so given the resources that you have today, and John, it seems like you've gone from like the four to forty 
So you've hit, in this, hit the scale there. But did you get there by trying to lift every segment up or by finding the ones where you had the right content or, you know, you, you had a leg up and you knew that you had the ability to communicate with them and then pushed on that really, you know, a few of them really hard? Or did you try to pull everything? What was your strategy? Yeah, no, we, we didn't pull everything. And, and Mark, again, you're hitting the nail on the head. So what we decided to look at was, um, you know, what is sales want? So, you know, we, we view ourselves as we're here to serve the sales department to, you know, make them more effective. And then what was the strategic senior management? What did they want? So uh, that's how we decided what segments, because we, we were in the same situation. You can't boil the ocean, you know, as they say, at once. So we had to pick those right. out. We aligned with sales and what the senior management wanted. Cool. Hey, by the way, I'm so excited right now. This is exactly what I was hoping for is to have a conversation like this. So um, you guys, uh, I think Kirk, it's okay to keep them unmuted. It seems like they're in a quiet background. I think individually, if people can kind of manage their, um, you know, quietness and muting around them. Uh, Jennifer Hollingsworth wanted to be uh, unmuted. Could you do that, Kirk? I can, I can unmute. I just wanted to let you know. Okay. Um, okay. So um, we're, we're, I would say, kind of in a similar place where John is in terms of identifying our, our target uh, customer profiles and segmenting it by industry and company size and um, types of people within that company who are actually our buyers. Um, the issue we're running into now with our ABM programs is um, are salespeople wanting to target very specific product divisions? Um, we, we work with very large enterprise type companies and um, finding tools to be able to identify who those people are um, to communicate with them. So for example, um, you know, within like an HPE, um, getting into like their edge division right. or their cloud division and um, identifying our, our buying committee within those specific divisions. Um, we, we're struggling to do that. We use Zoom Info, so we're struggling to do that. That's hard there. That, yeah. that targeted with Zoom Info. Amy, I, I face the same challenge well, with some of the projects I work on as well. So there's two ways that I've done it. There's um, a partner that I've gone to, they're out of India, but they do bespoke work around helping to, um, you know, really decompose a global structure. So this is North America. Here's the business units and people from sales, marketing, or whatever. And here's those in uh, Europe, as an example. Um, it, it's not perfect data, but it's good data and it's a good starting point. And one of the things... Um, that is a challenge is that, you know, when you get lead response coming in, it oftentimes would just say HPE, right? It, it, oftentimes it doesn't yeah. say, you know, which division. So okay. um, that is a constant data challenge. Again, ABM is a data challenge, right? It's not a media challenge. Um, now I have seen some, I mentioned a few providers, um, uh, data providers a uh, step or two earlier. I think I've seen from, um, Smart E, uh, uh, Sales Intel, and Inside View. I think they. I've seen them talk about division-based data. I've heard the same from uh, Zoom Info, but really from the bump and uh, the uh, Discover Org side. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in none of these situations am I here to advocate a vendor on, you know, from that perspective. Okay. Um, uh, but what you, what you're facing is a real challenge. There are sources to go to, to try to get data. Um, sometimes, you, you know, if the sales team is not capable of, or, you know, in some way able to help you map out their accounts, um, which is a plausible thing, like, you know, annual or quarterly planning process, like helping to organize, like which of these product groups are we going after and who are the people that are, you know, surround that particular product group, um, you know, and they, they can get to that because they've had potentially some meetings. They, you know, they're through discovery, trying to find the people who are in decision-making power around those areas. The question then becomes, how do you isolate that data within your CRM, mm-hmm. right? So how do you get them to kind of institutionalize away from kind of, you know, the Visio document that they put into their annual plan? How do you institutionalize that so that you can start to apply a lens on your side to say, well, we want to target them and we want to recognize them when, you know, we get a response from them. Um, so there are some things about, you know, flagging accounts and contacts. Um, a lot of the organ, a lot of the tools, uh, like a Salesforce, will allow parent-child relationships. I'd probably ask your sales ops team if if that's uh, implemented. Um, it, that because that would be really a starting point, right? So you have HPE, and then you have divisions one, two, and three that you're focused on. That then starts to give you a place where you could um, start to house the data. If you don't have that, that'd be a clear starting point. Okay. Great. Thank you. Sure. Fantastic questions, guys. Really. Um, so let me back up a slide. So what we're talking about here is going from a total addressable market to an ICP to a segment. Okay. So the target account list is really a, a major grouping that is vastly different from another target account list. Within a target account list, you have segments. So a target account list is a static thing. You wouldn't plan that people would um, you know, th- that an organization, I used an example, would move from North America to Europe. It could happen, but you wouldn't plan on that. And that may be, let's just say, for example, one of the, 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 the uh, points of data that you use to construct your list. A segment is similar. Like, you don't, you wouldn't plan that a person would move from one segment to another, but it is uh, possible. Okay. So, we're going to talk about how we define some of these segments as we move into these next slides. And this one here was an example of an e-commerce infrastructure company where part of their growth strategy was around um, adjacent partner technologies. So there were certain technologies that they were required to install with. And so if, the, if none of the partners existed there, it wasn't even a plausible sale. So part of their approach was let's, Let's find where all these different partners are installed and use that as one of the overlays in identifying um, one, the ICP, but two, how do we start to group them? And the grouping was one of the things that we, we actually pro- provided the value on. So what we found in the analysis is that they were focused on mid and enterprise and partner two and three were actually specializing in these areas. So if we're going to start off and try to learn what we know and don't know and trying to um, develop a new practice within the organization, I'm more the fan of let's try it, see how it works, adjust from there than to say everything is like blown up and we're going to start all over again. Like 
uh, prove the use case for yourself. And I got a question. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on uh, what you think the right size of company is to adopt ABM. I mean, is ABM just for enterprise companies like SAP? Good question, Shamir. So I think it's different for the different companies. So um, the needs of, I wrote an article uh, about this exact topic is around, uh, is called account-based confusion, the enterprise edition. I wrote it for uh, Oracle Marketing Cloud. You can look up my last name in Oracle Marketing Cloud blog, go find it. But the supposition that I had there is that ABM makes no sense as best practice today, uh, makes no sense for the enterprise because they already have, I don't know, you know, 10 million emails and you know, 600,000 website visits and 1,000 BDR phone calls going out every month. So bolting on an ad technology to that makes no sense. It's just going to kind of compound the confusion in the market of competing messages between channels. Um, so for smaller companies, it's actually for the enterprise, it's more of a customer experience challenge because they have so many programs in motion today. For a smaller organization, um, it depends on your growth strategies to how you're going to apply it, but I'll make kind of a broad brush assumption. A lot of early stage companies are really focused on top of funnel because, you know, they, they need to build their CRM. They need to build, um, you know, marketing tactics. There's not as many things that are in place right now. So they want a more efficient means of generating attention. Um, okay. Jennifer replied here, um, said that they're a small mature startup. Uh, 25 to 75 employees. Um, so Jennifer, let me know, Jennifer, is that in context of uh, where I was just heading, kind of like in earlier stage companies versus the uh, SAP? Yeah, just for a reference point, you know, we're, we're running ABM and, and we're definitely a small company. So just to let them know that you don't necessarily need an enterprise level marketing department to, to run ABM. But would yeah. your um, objectives and capabilities be different than, say, uh, John a moment ago, who seemed to have had a really scaled uh, marketing operations and marketing team? Um, were there things that you could learn from John, but you thought that his experience was different than where you're at right now? Or or how did you hear that? Um, I mean, it's very limited information. So I think I would think um, in terms of, of how we're targeting and where we are with our segmentation and target, we're very similar. Um, I'm sure John has a lot more resources to put towards messaging content development than we do. Um, our marketing department is three people. Um, so from, from that point, we're a little, um, you know, stagnated in, in that limited and being able to just produce content. but. Um, you know, we're, I'll piggyback yeah. on that too, though. I'm being a single person in my marketing department. It's just me. I work really closely with our business development, and we've identified that we want to look into creating account based marketing and going down that route for a platform. Um, so we haven't actually started it yet, but I mean, I'm, I'm a marketing team of just myself, and I feel it's beneficial to our company if we were to try and get something going at least. I can add too, I'm, I'm also from a, a smaller company um, and a very small team. Um, it's pretty much just me when it comes to the ABM side, but 
I, I think where, where the struggles, and I was going to ask a little bit, I don't know if you want to put, like if it was okay to pivot a little bit to metrics is we've been running some very targeted ABM. We, we have a pretty clear focus on who our target is. I think it's, you know, those, those metrics you showed at the beginning, like 82% know they're affecting revenue. I think that's really the struggle is how do you really measure it, especially when you have limited tools. Um, right. So we have personalized landing pages that we're driving to from LinkedIn. And I can see, you know, how many visits and, and stuff like that. We're trying to measure account penetration if they fill out a form. Um, I think it's more like, how do you, how do you validate that, that that's the right approach? Like I, as a marketer feel it is, <laughs> but how do you kind of validate it a little bit more, get better metrics on, on how it's really impacting the business? So I have some, um, we're actually at an out, it's, Amazing. An hour has gone by already. It seems like 30 minutes, but I have to keep an eye on the clock. I think we're done in 30 minutes. So I some of these questions are going to be answered, but I think some all of them are predicated though by the ability to properly organize your audiences. And I'll 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 dig into that more and, and I'll share a couple of tools that I've used <coughs> that help to set up the ABM programs. But in all situations, I think um the, the so I've been in six startups. So I was talking to the, the smart, smaller organizations uh, question here. I've had three exits. One of them was an IPO where I controlled like 92% of the revenue of the company, built a $350 million ARR business in two years. And the one thing that is key to scaling is focus. So find the areas where you win and win more often. If you're spending your time trying to win in places that you can't win, you'll never grow. And some, you know, the reasons you can't win are, are quite varied, you know, um, in the areas where you can win change as you mature and, and gather resources. But if you're trying to do all things to all people from the very beginning, no resources, you're going to be nothing to everybody. So it, that's easy for me to say, and your, your jobs are to live that every day, but at least consider uh, the point uh, you know, this afternoon when you uh, get back to work, what are the areas that you could focus on that might provide better outcomes faster and less less uh, with less work or less resource to it? Um, and to the point that John made it is that when you pr start proving those things, you start to get more resources because uh, you have a clear path now. I'm at point A, I'm going to point you know Z, but I see the path to get there. Um, and again, I know it's a super easy thing for me to say, and it's a super hard role that you're in because I've been there. Um, but at least consider that throughout your day. So I've talked about this a couple of times now, and this is about getting down to, okay, so how do we start to segment the audiences? The next question then becomes, um, I think it was Nicole had a question about the people. So if we pick just one of those, which was the enterprise, not the mid-market, the enterprise, we can start to look at it and say, who are the people that actually tend to sign these things for the enterprise? For the enterprise, who are the people that are generally involved in the decision process? And, and there are other groups of people that have a, a, a small stake in the game and you see come across through you know, your, your, your purview, but may not be um, as meaningful in the process of making an actual purchase. So this is a way without purchase without you know buying another technology platform to at least create a construct 
where you can rationalize by looking at the data of stuff that you've closed and won before, who was involved with you in those closed one deals that we looked at a moment ago. Next question then becomes, okay, so if I'm looking at um, my segment now, mid-market and enterprise partner one versus partner two with my key buyer groups in there, what content do I have available? And here, I think you're going to start to find like, oh, well, we don't have any content here. We got a ton there. We're missing, you know, we could adapt something and put it over here. But this is about now trying to say, what do I have available? Actually, first, let's start with what are the perceived needs of each of these cells here? And then what content do I have that addresses those needs? And you're going to find that it's not evenly distributed. You, you know, you may be missing entire you know, major chunks out of here, it, but that's good to know. It's, it's better to know it and acknowledge it than to ignore it and try to do, just give everybody a, a general answer, okay? So inventory it based upon, if you think about it here, you can be starting to talk about, um, I think we had identified, um, this is the economic buyer and this is an influencer. So an economic buyer with integration partner two, it allows you to create content that says, hey, you know, uh, within, you know, you know now that integration partner two, you have th these six things that are highly valuable in, in terms of how that works. And you could apply those to how an economic buyer would use that in their decision process. So you now become very close to the audience and talking in terms of, of what they know and love and do every day. So you can talk about the actual specific attributes of that integration partner in conjunction with the value proposition of your platform from the perspective of a person who is making a decision uh, to buy it. So you could talk in terms of the value deliver, the outcomes, you could do uh, you know, business case calculators, you could do all kinds of stuff for them now based upon very specific uh, attributes of, of, of your potential relationship with them and not just abstract or high level. Next one here. Um, so. This is a process that I put together. I actually wrote an article about this um, uh, for ABM in Action about a year ago. Uh, I said, you know, data is a good four-letter word. I think it was the name of the article, which I thought was pretty clever. But um, we're, we're going to talk about this now step-by-step. Step. So I put together a model here. And these are ways without additional technology purchases to do kind of the Preto principle of you know, what can we do today and what answers can we start to find? So, you know, the challenge is that interactions, they occur across channels, but the data exists, you know, between platforms. Uh, so to really understand your target accounts, you need to see their interactions across platforms. And, you know, you could buy a CDP and it could do a lot of this stuff for you. I'm not advocating that right now. What I'm saying is that there's a lot of stuff that you could do today that could be helpful for you. So from a data aggregation perspective, you know, things like, you know, if we've done an ICP exercise where we've identified the companies, we've white spaced it with additional companies that we don't know, um, you know, we can now bring this in and say, okay, let's, let's, you know, do a V lookup or merge the data from what we know in CRM and marketing automation together, contrast that off against the ICP and understand we know these companies, we do business with these ones, we, we, we see these other ones that are in our uh, sales and marketing systems today. There's these yet other ones that we don't know yet, but in the ICP exercise, we white space that. So we could, you know, bring those in, uh, you know, depending on your processes, you know, 
put an account object in, go try to acquire white space, the contacts with your data provider um, that fit your buying roles that we just discussed. And you start to and then propagate the data back to the other systems. Now, what I think is important um, as you do this, and some of this information is really better geared towards the smaller organization because larger ones have their, their own processes and, and you know, uh, you know, underlying technologies. And some of this might not be available for them to do just because of the rules and you know, who owns what. But you can do things like start to flag accounts in your CM and marking automation. So if, if they're target accounts, uh, create a custom field you know, where you can identify um, the target account list and the segments. And you can start to propagate that data back into your other systems. Um, you know, you could start to flag the, the contacts in your automation system. And you could maybe develop some simple logic that would say, even, even if just looking at the email domain, I mean, it's, it's not, you're going to get a lot of Gmail, I get it. Like, you know, but don't ignore some of the things that could be helpful. Um, you know, there are additional tools, again, you know, reverse IP lookup in your form fills and things like that, that could help to identify companies even better yet. But, you know, flag what it is that you're trying to do in these different systems. So accounts, uh, you know, at a minimum in CRM, the contacts, you know, aligning them to accounts within your automation systems, um, you know, and other things like, you know, simply converting your leads to con contacts in, in your CRM. Again, that could have process implications with some large companies, but, you know, start to minimize the obfuscation of, who you're trying to focus on between these systems is really what this is about. And trying to set the universe of, you know, who do we know, who do we not know yet, and who should we be marketing to? So if I'm looking at a, uh, a segment uh, level uh, view of what's happening in um, automation systems, or, you know, like I can use that as a context of who do I want to put into my, my next program uh, for that segment? And what is the interaction of people from that segment? Okay. Also, um, you know, here, you know, download it and, and pivot the data. Um, what you want to find is if you took like a contact level report, you know, pivoted finding on that field for, you know, the segment and then sorted by target account within the segment with the most contacts that, you know, and try to view that as saying like, which one of these fit my, my buyer personas, you can start to get a view of like some accounts are engaging more thoroughly than others. And you, you know, at this point, again, you've not made a technology purchase, but yet doing a little bit of spreadsheet work here, you, you can get a long ways into understanding what you know and don't know. And that's really the, the objective here uh, of not trying to tell you to go buy a bunch of stuff, but rather to give you tools and things that you can do that help you to create this account-based structure uh, in, in terms of review. Um, you know, and accounts, you know, ultimately you want to identify account needs and topics uh, of interest you know, before uh, and their campaign responsiveness and history. Um, you know, so like, you know, downloading uh, the CRM data, and, you know, throwing a pivot up against that, you know, for the frequency and response rates, you know, stage of buying cycle, like other attributes that are in your CRM system that the salespeople are putting in there, again, gives you another piece of the picture altogether um, that, Oftentimes, I think what we do as marketers is we develop these lists and we just keep, you know, hammering away at them. Um, but there is a whole layer of stuff down below, which is really about the account, their needs, their responsiveness, what should we do about it? Um, and a pen, you know, so, um, you know, if as time goes by, you're going to want to make sure that you're, you're mapping leads as they're coming into your automation system uh, against the target accounts and flag properly. 
uh, you know, continue to white space, you know, buyer contact roles and things like that, filling uh, gaps in what you know and don't know, uh, enriching the underlying data. And, and perhaps here you could also be talking about, you know, external intent data or predictive scoring. Um, you know, so how do you append data into these systems that help to fill the blind side of, of uh, what you know or don't know about those accounts? And then actioning the data. So I have another slide in, in just a, a slide or two here, but really, um, you know, the ABM, this is a constant theme here, but the ABM revenue impact, it really begins when your program reflects the needs of your audience. Uh, you know, content that's really identified for them and not for you, like this is all about them. Um, so uh, we're gonna take a, a look here again in a couple slides about, about how do you do things like, uh, um, well, anyways, I'll pull away to the other slide in just a second here. Hold on to that when I, when I talk about the marketing place and, and how we approach that. And then, uh, you know, finally, data management. You know, so things like lead account uh, matching, you know, balanced emails, uh, trying to develop some reports that look at, you know, segment-based response. Um, you know, uh, and again, I mentioned before, like the CRM lead to contact conversion. You know, what some of these things are harder in larger companies, but the more that you can try to compress. Um, you know, the, the disparate data that, that starts to explode across these different systems and compress it down into stuff that becomes a little bit more manageable, the better the view that you can get. And so this is the action plan now. So this is actually, when we were talking about segments and we were talking about um, uh, why that was really critical, when it comes to an action plan, what we're trying to do here is a segment should be uh, homogeneous in terms of their needs. You might be able to also identify people as interested in you know, a specific topic within that segment. Ultimately, what you're trying to do is to create content and programs that, that are address accounts that are in a cell and to, to really simplify the concept of ABM. The whole concept is to move people one cell to the right. To scale ABM, you have to do that asynchronously cell to cell to cell. And that's you know a further discussion of a very mature program. So this is a design of experience, how I call it, because what you what you're doing is you're forming an assertion. This is that content, uh, you know, to to um, uh, contact to segment. So your buyer roles, your um, uh, your segment, and your assertion as to the right content that would that would fit there. Also, an assertion as to what types of tactics you could deploy. You make a lot of assertions, but if you do that at a very discrete level here, like as in a segment, you begin to understand what works and doesn't work. Not every cell will move as well as the other. Some of it's, let's say you had perfect knowledge and you had great content for everything. Some of it is that your value proposition isn't as strong for a segment and you may not be able to change that. But other things are, you're gonna find that your assertions were wrong. So if you had the wrong assertion that they needed A, but they really need B, Here's where you start to find out. You have the level of detail now in terms of how you've tracked the program. You begin to see which, which segments and, cell, and, and uh, stages of engagement you become good at. And, and that is really critical because right now, I think a lot of ABM best practice tries to treat this entire thing as one cell, which is select accounts, one cell, deliver a bunch of ads to them. And it misses the point that underneath that, there's just a technicolor amount of, of um, learning that you're missing if you're looking at it from that perspective. So 
you know, what are the things you should be doing, you know, plan your, plan your change, you know, do we need more contacts, you know, uh, should I be looking at my current nurturing flows and seeing which uh, uh, target account contacts are flowing into nurturing flows that don't match, you know, what it is I'm trying to talk to them about, um, you know, this, this is for me, the construct where when we sit down with a, a company and, and, and go through this whole exercise, we, we end up here. And the point is, let's take the entire ICP, pour it into this matrix and see where the cells start to populate. Now, to be clear, the, the, the columns here, I'm, I'm not trying to assert one set of columns versus another. We would adopt the columns that you have, okay? Um, you know, maybe a demand unit waterfall or maybe something completely uh, custom altogether. But what tends to happen is a lot of it tends to fall in the awareness stage stuff. I get it. Maybe we all want to build new business. Don't forget going over to uh, cross-sell, upsell, and retention. Um, but what I would recommend is if you've gone through all of this work is to pick a manageable number of cells where you know that you have the right content, you think you have the right assertions about the buyers and start to action programs there and track them very discreetly. What is your conversion of moving people one cell to the right? Because if you're successful at that, that proves that you know how to address that, that cell. In the future, you can get a lot better at it, like more content, different content, whatever it may be. But if you're not able to convert that cell, you know you have something wrong. Somehow, Mark, I have a question. Please. Sorry. Um, so, you know, kind of back to the small companies and lean and mean team. Um, yeah. I focus more on like companies that I already know are in consideration, right? So that yeah. we're serving up content that they would want to know a little bit more about, you know, because they have to scale. Um, yeah. Do you like... It, have you worked with anybody like that where maybe it's, you know, trying to figure out. So when you're building the ABM, you know, and you can't really go big or go to all the initial I mean, you maybe have awareness campaigns in general, but when it gets down to like really like personalization and stuff for an account, um, I've found that if I focus a little bit more on the comparison part or the solution selection, of course you have to know that that company is there and that's with partnering with sales right? Um, to try to move the needle a little bit. I don't know if you have any comments on that or if you've seen that. Well, the more mature ABM programs focus more of their effort outside of top of funnel awareness. So your thought process, I think, is great. Um, now, that said, I think that a lot of, you know, I keep using in air quotes here, you know, best practice is incorrect. And so a lot of people may use intent and predictive signals to say, well, I'm only going to put them in ABM program if they have intent. I say, well, that's a terrible idea. You know, there's a, there's a reason why brand advertising is done quite a bit. Not that ABM is brand advertising, but your marketing should be able to help evoke yeah. uh, an intent signal. I, I think where it gets confusing a little is like the definition of ABM versus your whole marketing plan, right? So there's awareness, Correct. like like for me, I'm running brand awareness campaigns. I'm just not targeting only one company for it, right? I'm targeting my top whatever, 100, 1,000, whatever it is. And then when you get to that more detailed, then I consider, it, you know, ABM is pretty usually used now, I guess, is what, I, you know, so I think it scares people that, you know, 
you have to start, but I guess what I'm trying to say is still doing the awareness stage, but a little more general and then focusing more personalization when you get into, when you, when you get that information, not just on intent data, but from sales or their interactions and stuff, then you to scale, you can personalize more down the funnel. For sure. I think the only thing I was saying is that I think you can, by the way, what you described is you're already narrow casting your awareness, uh, you know, to, to, you said like a thousand or something like that. And that's, right. that's cool. It, 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 I would suggest maybe with that thousand, you could, you know, still break them apart in segments and understand the responsiveness they have to that brand advertising <clears throat> in a more discreet way. So in other words, not everybody's going to think about you and their needs of awareness of your organization in the same way. So still segment them further up. Not that that means that you have, a, you know, potentially a vastly different program, but at least it allows you to isolate um, the responsiveness to that advertising in a way that um, gives you learning. But I, I like where you're going, which is you're you're now really focused more kind of mid funnel of like how do we accelerate deals and pull them through because oftentimes friction occurs there. And I think that my point was that I think that's a much more you have a very mature way of thinking of ABM. So as a compliment. Oh. <laughs> okay. And <clears throat> this here, again, this, this whole thing that I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to tell you, you know, go buy a platform because you're going to be able to do this thing, but it's, this is an example of a play and it's intentionally kind of blurred out. So you can't see it because it's not the details that really matter, but basically this was run in, in frankly, it was run in HubSpot. I mean, it was easy to, you know, it was a lot of work to create all the content and stuff like that. But the idea was take a segment, pop, you know, for us, take a cell, pop the people in a cell and then see what we can get out of this. It was a 30 day play of a series of emails, messages, display advertising, going across the top of it, uh, you know, you know, triggered alerts for the sales team members for LinkedIn, you know, engagement, you know, uh, potentially a direct mail piece drop. But, the objective was going back to the prior slide. People that I put in there were like right here. How do I move them to there? Or, or they were, you know, in your consideration phase, like they were somewhere here. How do we move them one to the right? Okay. So it's trying to prove the business case of how well did I actually know those people? Do I have the right assumption about their needs? If I don't, that, that, that's actually, you know what? failure with this kind of design of experiment is equally as important because it proves that you didn't have the right, something was wrong. Okay. Something was wrong in your, your assumptions, the content, the people, the audience, whatever. And so that's equally important to know, but what you miss uh, when you do, when you treat it as kind of unsegmented manner is you miss all the detail. Let's say that, you know, you get an average of a 20% improvement uh, in, in the program. The reality is that one segment probably accelerated at 60, another one was minus 10, another one was plus five, another one was minus 20, a different one was up 40. So what do you learn from that? The fact that you're up 20, was that good? Well, I'd say no. I mean, if, if you just took the 40 and the 60 and, and realized that you didn't know enough yet about the minus 20 and the minus 40, then your results would be far better. And you would have spent money um, in ways that in, in, in focus on those areas that you're winning the best and then causes you to go and reassess that those minus ones, what was going on? I mean, like I, something was messed up, like I needed to change something there. 
So taking a segmented approach allows you this kind of design of experiment, this learning that comes uh, from it. And I just had two more slides here. One of them was a piece of the research. Um, and this was, I think, one of the, the key issues, and somebody had mentioned it earlier in the conversation today. Measurement is key. Like if you're not keeping enough, keeping a close enough tab on what's happening at the the segment to the account to the uh, the, the the key persona and tracking the conversions, even if you're not using a tool, but if you're doing some of that like pivot uh, analysis that I was talking about a moment ago, you're not going to get it. Like 72% of companies don't know what's going on. And, and that's a travesty. So if you just kind of treated ABM as a checkbox, like oh, I bought a platform and like you're, you're going to have somebody come back to you later on and question the decision. And then last but not least, and I know that, holy cow, I can't believe it, we're down to the last five minutes. Um, I thought today was going to either be a quick 50 minutes with no questions or, uh, you know, like today, it just ended up perfect. So you guys were really fantastic. Uh, thank you very much. Now, I think the way of thinking about it is you don't need to start off at the highest level of maturity, Okay. Start with what it is that you can use to prove your business case. When you get the business case, you can start to request additional uh, assets around you. In fact, this goes to exactly what John was mentioning. He said he started with four. He ended up with 40. And I'm going to assert that he probably went through a similar process of you can't boil the ocean. So you, you, you find the areas where you can win. You prove your business case. You show where you can replicate that business case. So additional resources equal more of doing this. Um, you pick up another headcount or two, and then you pick up a little bit more budget. And incrementally, you continue to prove that you have a business case, you have the right strategy, it's panning out from step to step. But here, you know, initially it may be just, you know, adding new targetable universe, right? New, 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 more of the right contacts at the accounts by segment. Or, you know, you're able to show multiple contacts are now interacting with you uh, from, from, you know, within segments or, you know, simply website visits. And, and that's an interesting measure. It's not a measure in and of itself. It's not necessarily actionable, but it's interesting. But as you move to mid, perhaps here, some of the stuff starts to involve technology. Not as much yet, um, but knowing that I have just a couple of minutes, I'm going to go a little bit faster. But at a high level, you need to be tracking this stuff, conversion rates by... Um, you know, target account, you know, MQLs as they align to a qualified account, as they align to an opportunity to win rates, conversions, ACV, like attribution. I think we all talk, tend to use, think of attribution uh, in terms of just like, well, my program and I get this kind of rep, like, but there's a different one, which is the third sell down, which is the cross channel attribution. So if you do, you know, email plus tele plus syndication and display, how is that better than with or without display? So understanding the impact of the different channels um, and then the ability to just you know, generate bigger deals and ultimately be able to track back to, to revenue. So revenue occurs by doing a lot of the heavy data management work at the conversion level. It doesn't occur at just looking at website visits and then claiming pipeline. It's, you've got to be much more um, actionable and discreet. But with that, I wanted to just get on to the last slide and again, compliment you guys. Was, like You guys exceeded my expectations. Um, you know, we had the half a dozen people who really contributed a lot to the conversation today. And my hat goes off to you guys. 
you know, feel free to reach out to me, uh, email address right here. Happy to talk to anybody. But I hope you enjoy the rest of B2B SMX 2020. And I wanted to thank you very, very much um, that uh, you guys made you guys made the session today. It's all about you. So thank you very much. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.